you know, if you look at the oral history from a lot of ancient cultures, they always talk about like ancient India. It's one of the most crazy kind of stories through their like the Vedas, you know. They talk about like these civilizations that existed like 40, 50,000 years ago. Hello and welcome to the Mr. Bill podcast. I'm Bill's manager, Anand Harsh. I'm also editor-in-chief of the Unts.com. Hope everyone had a super spreader event free Thanksgiving. Perhaps you're now recovering from your tryptophan phase. If you're in Southern California, I hope you'll be seeing Bill at the Park and Rave with Ganja White Knight this weekend. It's already sold out, though, so if you're just finding out about it now, I'm afraid you're SOL. Bill's guest today is Michael Petzl, a.k.a. Schlump. Let me tell you, I've been excited about this dude since he hopped on the stage as a youngster out of NorCal a few years back. He's released on Circus and Deep, Dark, and Dangerous, and is such a killer sound, and he and Bill just have a fun conversation. Thank you for supporting the show. You can subscribe at patreon.com slash Tunes, And there are tons of other perks like early access to episodes and special bonuses like subscribers got last week. Finally, please head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. You get full access to Bill's project files and tutorials, access to nearly 30 sample packs, and so much more. All right, here's Bill's chat with Schlump. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. sick man all right well sweet thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast appreciate it yeah for sure man this is honestly uh my first podcast i've ever done so oh nice yeah i i find that they're like you've probably like you've done interviews and shit right like in green rooms and stuff like that yeah definitely and i've done a lot of just like um you know where they send you questions and you answer them yeah like not in person but yeah so I yeah bet- i, I Sorry, go on. I got like really into kind of podcasts probably about a year ago and um, through like watching Joe Rogan and stuff and some of his, but mm. yeah, I got super into Duncan Trussell's podcast and that's like nice. kind of how we linked. I, I tagged you in that little post and I was like, that was a really good one, by the way. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, Duncan's the man. He's, he's such a fun guy to talk to. He just has like such a crazy way of like looking at life. Um, yeah, definitely. Just- yeah, he's like really good at articulating things too. He just has like cool way with words, you know. Mm, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I'll go on his podcast again soon. I was supposed to go to a show of his <clears throat> in San Francisco, um, like in June or July or something like that. Because we did the podcast this year, I think in February or March, which feels like fucking ages ago now. But um, damn. So like right before the pink hit. Yeah, we did it just before, basically. Like, like I think, um, actually, that trip where I was in L.A. doing that podcast with him, I was also, like, hanging out with Ben from Ganja White Night, and I did a show for Mousetrap and, like, did a bunch of stuff down there. And then on the way home, I decided I was canceling my whole next tour, which is, like, fucking crazy, man. Yeah, it was insane. When I found out about the COVID stuff, like, 
I had heard a bunch of rumors and like I was in Canada the week before everything shut down. And I remember I like went to the cannabis club to like get some weed and I was like talking to the lady there and I was like, yeah, I'm going up to Canada. And she was like, she's just super concerned. She's like, oh no, you shouldn't be traveling right now. You know? And I was like, what? And she's like, you haven't heard of the whole COVID like thing popping off. But yeah, I did those shows. And then the next weekend I was out for, um, South by Southwest, like out in, um, Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. And right when I got in, this is like the last show I did, um, is with a bunch of the Wakan dudes. And um, I met up with Loper and um, and Nate. They're two of the guys who run Wakan. And like, as soon as I got to the show, I just saw Loper like having this, like, I don't know, really intense looking conversation on the phone. Just like his facial expressions and body language. I could just tell. I was like, oh, this is like, he's having a gnarly conversation right now. And then, like, as soon as he got off, he uh, just came up and was like, the whole tour is canceled. And I was like, what? Because I, um, I was actually supposed to go on this bus tour with Liquid Stranger and mm. to do, like, 10 days right after that. So it was, that was like, with, um, was that with Dirt Monkey as well? Yeah, Dirt Monkey was on a couple of the shows. Um, yeah, so it was wild. Like, um, just seems to happen so quick, you know? Yeah, yeah, I had 10 dates lined up for um, my halftime EP tour. And uh, yeah, I, I um, it was funny because like I kind of like um, told everyone I wasn't going to do it like a week before everyone else started canceling their shit. And it was just, um, it, I remember how like uh, a lot of people, like especially my management stuff, just thought I was overreacting. They were like, oh no, you're being like way too like, paranoid and stuff to cancel a whole tour and then literally like three to five days later everyone was canceling everything it was just such a crazy turn at that time everyone's just like what why are you canceling and then as yeah as soon as it happened it was like a domino effect Mm -hmm. but yeah i don't know it's been um honestly for me being like so heavily touring the past like five years it's been kind of nice to get this break like being out of work definitely sucks, you know, and not, and I, you know, I love playing shows. I love getting to travel, but you know, getting this much time at home has been, it's been really nice in some sense. Like I'm sure that you can relate a little bit on some level, just touring all the time can like, I don't know. can just get, get kind of like draining, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, I've, I've heard that, uh, that, that idea espoused by a bunch of, DJs at this point and I agree completely I think it's like um it's touring is one of those things where like if you just keep putting shows in front of me I'll just keep taking them like I don't know why even if the offers are low I'll just be like oh you know it's a good look for like and it's just this like weird psychological Stockholm effect type thing yeah where you're just like yeah fuck I guess I'll do the $750 show because it's a good look or whatever and then you know maybe I'll get paid more later or like, like there's this whole fucking weird game that you have to play there so um, I was just taking like every show basically or, or a lot of them at least. And it's been, yeah, kind of refreshing to have like to just not have the option to do them, I guess, because it like just gives you this built in break that you probably wouldn't that I, I at least probably would never have given myself. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. The past like five years for me has been pretty steady. Just, you know, I'll get a couple of breaks that are like maybe two, maybe three weeks tops. But then it's just like I'm back on it and it just seems like I can never get in like a 
I don't know, like a, like a daily routine, daily schedule type thing, you know, mm-hmm. wake up at this time, go to bed at this time, like do whatever kind of things I like to do during the day. It's just kind of like all up in the air. It's like, I'll get home for a couple of days and, you know, just kind of like fuck off watching movies and fucking playing video games and shit like that. So yeah, this break has been good. I got to, uh, I don't know, set some positive kind of habits and, and, uh, got to skate a lot too, which I love to do. So yeah, it's been cool. Yeah. I saw a tweet. I saw a tweet that you made where, or you posted a couple of like video clips here and there of you skating. And it looks like you're, um, you're pretty into it. Like you're doing kick flips into grinds and shit like that. Seems tough. Yeah, for sure. I mean, back when I was a lot younger, I was way more into it. It's kind of like, um, it was, I guess you could say it's like my first passion. It was the first thing that I really found that I like clicked with and just wanted to do all the time. And like, you know, it's kind of one of the great things about music as well. Um, you know, it's like something that really puts you in the moment as kind of cliche and cheesy as that sounds like just kind of takes you away from all of your, I don't want to say worries, but you're just like running mind, you know, your mind that's just constantly thinking and Mm. blah, 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 blah. I need to do this. I need to do that. Like, I don't know. When I go to skate, it's like just fully there, you know, fully present. And and it's just fun, you know, like um, rekindles some kind of childhood I don't know, essence, some kind of like nostalgic. Yeah. Some vibe of just, you know, back when I was a little kid, just riding around on my board and yeah, it's uh, it's trippy, you know, I got into it probably when I was like seven or eight years old and, um, was really into it until I was like, I don't know, teenager, 13, 14. That's when I really got into music, like got really into, um, playing guitar and was playing a lot of death metal and, um, yeah, so it was weird. Like when I was in my early mid twenties, I kind of like I still would skate around every now and then and just do it. But I moved back to the the town I grew up in for like a year, Sebastopol, and um, they just had this super dope skate park there. And I was like living pretty close to it, and I was like, dude, I should go skate there. And I just went one day and was like, what? It's just so much fun. And yeah, since then I kind of slowly picked up where I was at and. Yeah, it's trippy. I I didn't think that I'd be like getting this into it when I just first started doing it again, you know, in my mid 20s. But it just like sparked, you know, and it just reconnected. It was like um it's like I walked in like a old old like library full of dust and spider webs <laughs> and I was just like picked up some books, you know. It's like that's that's how I felt with the tricks. It was like these old tricks that were still in my like muscle memory and still in my brain, but I just had to like dust them off and like spend a little time getting them right. But yeah, it's been cool, man. I kind of got back to where I was at when, um, when I kind of transitioned from skating like all the time every day to doing music all the time every day. Right. Is this like a thing that you got back into through COVID or or through quarantine or is it something that you got into before? um, Probably... I would say like around like 2013, 14, I moved back to, um, Sebastopol where I, um, where I grew up and like, I had a, I don't know, I had a funny kind of, I guess, period right outside of high school where I, um, 
I got really into like growing weed and doing this whole like weed hustling thing. And, and, um, yeah, it kind of like consumed my life. I, I thought of it like, Oh yeah, I'm going to like grow some weed and make a bunch of money and life will be great, you know? But it was like, I don't know, just a full-time job, just doing shit all day, every day, driving hours, going here and there and a lot of work. So it's like, um, and I always wanted to do music through this whole time. So it was kind of like putting music in the back burner while I was just growing weed and doing this whole, I don't know, trap life thing. So yeah, I did that for a couple of years. And then I ended up moving back to um, Sebastopol, the town I grew up in. And that was kind of when it re-sparked. I'd say like 2013, 2014. And um, yeah, just got super into it. It was like living right next to a skate park. I feel like that was part of it too. I just like, I would walk by it all the time and just be like, oh shit, that looks dope. Like I should go skate there. (laughs) So yeah. Um, Are you in, I thought you were in Santa Cruz. Are you in Sebastopol now? Yeah, I'm in Santa Cruz now. All right. Um, Yeah, around like 2013 or 14, I moved to Sebastopol from, um, because I was living way out in the boonies, probably when I was like... um, when I was like 18, right out of high school, I like, I grew a crop of weed on my friend's, my friend's grandparents' house. And it was totally sketchy. Like they didn't even know that we were doing it. And I just like camped out there and like, uh, yeah, I just grew weed this one season and ended up getting like a good harvest and made some money. And then yeah from there i ended up moving out way out in the boonies and like was just i had these two houses for really cheap that i could just kind of do whatever i wanted at and i grew outdoor and indoor at one of them and um yeah during that whole time was kind of right when the project the schlump project kind of started to gain momentum it um was trippy as it all kind of came together it was like i always really wanted to to make my living doing music, you know, but I had some weird kind of thought process, like, like either like you make it, you know, or you're a starving artist, you know, that was kind of, and I feel like the internet changed a lot of that because now you can promote things yourself. You can sell merch. You can, I don't know, do all these different things to make money and make, and there's more of like a, almost like a middle class ground now for artists and musicians. But I, I, like I always kind of always the case though, right? Like it's, I don't feel like it was ever so black and white. Like you're either starving or you're rich. Like I think it was always kind of a gradient in there. Yeah, totally. I think that was also a part of just like a like a weird, I don't know, thought process, a weird mentality that I had, you know. So I always kind of put a lot of energy into like doing this weed thing because I was like, oh, I'm gonna make a bunch of money doing that. Mm. And then that can like fund your passion of writing music kind of. Exactly. Yeah. But it it ended up kind of being the opposite. It kind of consumed my life and just took so much energy out of me. And, and to be honest, it was, I don't know, it was just like a paranoid lifestyle. I would always be worrying about things, worrying about the police, worrying about getting robbed, worrying about this or that. And yeah, Mm. it's like kind of consumed my life for like four years. And, um, so yeah, I was out in the middle of the boonies and that's where I kind of released my first EP as Schlump. It was up there. 
I think it was it was called Hydro. It was on this um, record label out of the Bay Area called Mal Label. And that was kind of right when things started kindling. Is like I was producing a lot of um, kind of eight oh eight based music and like I don't know trap trappy style beats. <laughs> yeah, remember that like phase that everyone went through um, around like I want to say like two thousand and twelve or something. It was like yeah. that Bay Area trap phase where it was kind totally. of um, what was that song that got big? The fucking there was well there was the Harlem Shake, but then there was also um, that other one by that Kennedy Jones guy. Um, there's there's a bunch of ones that got really big what was that one yeah it was so funny kennedy jones trap song i gotta figure out what this is um <laughs> yeah there's like some floster domus song that really got me into it it was um oh suavemente the suavemente. kennedy the kennedy jones yeah. uh trap remix for He's sure like, suavemente. <laughs> yeah dude yeah it was like an era for sure <clears throat> Yeah, Honestly, so you're making like that kind of stuff? Yeah, I was making that kind of stuff. I got really into it. Um, yeah, and I did a release on Malabel, like I said, and it got the attention of some blogs, and that's kind of, I don't know, where I got started to see some growth on my SoundCloud. It was like I got a bunch of reposts from, it was like EDM Trap or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, and then the momentum just started gaining. I started... Um, doing a lot of just like self-releases on on Bandcamp and stuff like that but yeah um i don't know prior to that like what really got me into doing this um type of music was like um going to festivals honestly when i was 18 or yeah 18 the first year the first summer out of um high school I went to this festival called Symbiosis that was in... Uh, oh, yeah, I know that one. Yeah. And this year it was in, like, right near Yosemite. And, um, yeah, kind of prior to that, I was playing a lot of guitar and doing a lot of death metal stuff. And I had just got, like, a MacBook Pro and um, Logic and was just kind of fooling around with with the idea of, like, a, like a DAW, you know, and, and messing with it. And yeah, I went to that festival and I saw so many really, really cool like artists. This was like 2009. I remember I saw like Caspa and like, like who else did I see? Like Mimosa and Vibe Squad and all these, I don't know. It was just like this total scene and vibe that was kind of percolating at that time of, it's like kind of dubstep, but just, I don't know, just trippy bass music, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember just being... I don't know, like, whoa, this shit is wild. It was always, like, a fascination of, like, dude, how do they make that? Like, like, how does that sound come to life? Like, Oh, man, the first time I went to a what was called a doof in Australia and watched a bunch of Psytrance DJs, I thought they were just making all of the sounds on the spot. Yeah, right? It was, like, almost seemed like magic or something. Right. And, yeah, I had been into electronic music for a while, but I had never heard anything like this. Like I, um, throughout high school, I was really into like a lot of the warp records people like, um, obviously yeah, like, like Apex twin and like square pusher and like plaid and, uh, mm. Chris Clark, mm-hmm. some really cool stuff that was happening in the, in the two thousands. And yeah, my brother really turned me on to that stuff. So I always had like a, like an appreciation for electronic music. And I liked it, but I don't know. Once I started hearing this kind of stuff, I, I like really turned me on to it. And 
And yeah, you know, it's really hard to keep a cohesive kind of, I don't know, flow with bandmates, you know, and doing practice and the idea of just being able to kind of make music by myself and, and just not have to rely on other people, other schedules. It was just, I don't know. Yeah. I felt the same way to be honest. Like I definitely, um, yeah, kind of had the same realization of like, I did the same thing. I was in metal bands as well. And, um, I was like, oh, it's kind of annoying to have to worry about like getting five people or four people into the same room to do a thing together. It's like much easier to just sit here and do this crap at home. I wanted to ask though, um, you, you mentioned, um, that you did some self-releases on Bandcamp. Uh, how do you feel about like self-releases on Bandcamp versus releases on labels? Cause like, I'm kind of like of two minds about it, right? On, on one hand, um, <clears throat> I like to buy music off Bandcamp cause it's just an easy process, right? Like I can just go to say like, you know, Tipper's Bandcamp or something, chuck in the number 10 hit buy now, it just goes straight to my PayPal, I hit pay and then I have the release. And I know that most of the money just went directly to Tipper and not to some label and not to, you know, I mean, a little bit goes to Bandcamp, a little bit goes to PayPal for the fees and shit. But like, Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, like the artist is getting the money. Like, I think that whole um, process is awesome. But on the other hand, um, I also feel like I put so much effort and time into making my music that I don't want to then just go put it on Bandcamp and just have it kind of like pissed away and not get like proper traction. And totally. I guess the the um, sort of <clears throat> line of thinking is if you put it on a bigger label, like say Wakan or something like that, that it will get like more traction and and be more worth the time that you invested or something, even though you maybe make like less money immediately off the release, you kind of uh, get recouped or compensated in exposure. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I think um, one of the great things about Bandcamp, like you said, is that it kind of is a more of a direct way to support the artist. And, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's positive and negative sides to it. I haven't done a release on Bandcamp in a long time because I don't know, as soon as I kind of got, got the attention and the opportunities to start working with labels, I just kind of ran with it. And, Mm. you know, there are so many good labels right now for the kind of music that we do. That, um, yeah, I just, I haven't done one since probably like 2012, 2013, something like that. But yeah, I used to do them all the time. And, um, and, um, I think a big, um, one, like I said, one of the cool things of it is it's a more direct way to support the artist, but it does kind of get swept under the rug a lot of the time because there's, um, I don't know. There's just not as much of, I, in my opinion, like a really vibrant scene on Bandcamp. There's a right. lot of like DJs who use it and people who use it to download music, but there's not as much um, kind of like active listeners, you know, like SoundCloud or. I also think part of it is that um, on Bandcamp, there's not like uh, a gatekeeper, so to speak, right? Like anyone can put a release up there and they all look the same. Whereas on, uh, you know, something like Deadbeats or Wakan or, you know, something like that it's gatekept, right? It's gatekept by, you know, people who obviously like a very certain thing. And by having a release on there, it's kind of like, you know, you're getting their stamp of approval implicitly by having the release on there in the first place. So it kind of like comes with this extra sort of level of respect that needs to be uh, commanded by the release. It's almost like it's verified by some some people who are really kind of, 
yeah have exactly a it's like good a verified perspective stamp, but... you know have a good understanding of the type of music but yeah exactly. i mean every now and then i'm cruising through soundcloud and especially with a lot of like i don't know i'm really into like underground kind of deep dubstep it's really not that big in the states and like it's really big it seems like overseas and like europe i mean like it's pretty big at like the the black box right in denver they yeah you know the black box but that's i still kind of consider that a pretty underground venue you know Mm, yeah compared to something like the ogden theater or cervantes or you know it's like um it's a heady little 300 cap and i love playing shows there because you know they put a great amount of effort into like the acoustics and the sound system and I don't know. That's like the best venue for playing deep dubstep, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Super <laughs> dark and fucking mm-hmm. all the people who show up there. That's what they want. Yeah. But yeah, I've noticed uh, to bring it back to the Bandcamp thing. I've noticed a lot of um, a lot of these artists that I'm really into from the UK and from that are more on the deep dubstep kind of tip. They do a lot of their stuff through Bandcamp because. Um, yeah, I think it's like an easy way. You don't have to go through all this publishing and all this stuff. You don't have to license it and put it on DistroKid and all this stuff. You just put it on there and set a fee. DistroKid makes shit pretty easy, though, I feel like. You can just, like, you know, I, this might sound, like, weird because they just paid me to do a, like, thing on my YouTube <laughs> channel. But but I, I, I actually do use DistroKid, and I think it's oh, pretty good. Fuck yeah, I use them, too. They're, they make things really simple. But yeah, the point is like with with um, with Bandcamp, it's just it's as easy as like a couple clicks, you know, and then you have yeah, yeah. you have your songs up there for sale. Yeah, I, I like the Bandcamp subscription thing. Like, for instance, um, Cursor is a good example of this. He uh, has like a he releases a bunch of music only to people who subscribe to him on Bandcamp. And the subscription is like five bucks a month or something like that. And I think he has like, I don't know how many of it, like thousands of subscribers, right? Who are all paying like five bucks a month, which means he's like making thousands and thousands of dollars a month. And he just has to like put tunes up for them whenever they want it, which is fucking awesome because it's it's like the people who directly want his music, who are like super fans, who will pay five bucks a month to him to get it, are directly connected to him, the artist who's making the, the music and they're directly giving money to him and he's directly giving music to them. It's like this really perfect kind of relationship for an artist and fans i think in that subscription model type way oh yeah for sure that's rad i mean cursor would be a great person to do that because he seems to pump out tunes like non-stop mm. um yeah i mean i've seen a lot of people do that with like patreon too where they'll um like offer you know music production tutorials or um ableton racks or whatever you know i think there's a lot of um a lot of cool ways to make money in the music industry if you uh if you use your mind you know and kind of think about it and because right now there's so many kids that um want to produce you know that are trying to learn how to produce too Mm. and um yeah i mean i love all the tutorials you've been doing for for a long time too you know that's kind of how i first heard of you is just looking up shit on youtube and yeah, always some useful stuff. One of the things that I really wanted to, to try, I didn't get a chance to, was that that plugin that you were you did something on where you can kind of get individual stems from tracks. What was it like oh, Sleeter? Um, Sleeter, yeah. Sleeter. Um, yeah, yeah, my that, girl, my girlfriend made that plugin. Dude, that looked so cool, man. 
It's awesome. Yeah. So basically, um, this company called Deezer who release, uh, I mean, they're like a music distributor like Spotify or Tidal or whatever, but they're based in France. They developed this technology called Splitter and it's like AI based or something. I don't know what exactly that would mean in this case, but it's um they, they say it's AI based and basically it's designed to yeah separate the stems out of things, but it's also open source, which is really cool. So my girlfriend, um, she pretty much took that open source code and then built it into a Max device where it just like runs some JavaScript to pull that code or whatever or that from a library. And then you just, you know, click on an audio file in live, hit start, and it just splits it into stems for you. It's awesome. That's insane, honestly. That was like an idea I had when I first started producing. I was like, do they have some kind of plugin where you could just get the stems, you know, get the acapella, get the guitar line? Yeah, that's fucking crazy, yeah. man. That's one thing that uh, trips me out is like where the future is heading, you know, like, uh, I don't know, just looking at looking at like um, digital synthesizers, you know, like when I first got into it, I just remember being blown away by like massive, you know, just being like, whoa, what the fuck? (laughs) Like all these digital wave tables, you just go through them and just listen to like weird valley tones and weird sounds. It's it's funny how it hasn't changed that much though, right? Like Serum is ostensibly massive. Yeah, but I feel like Serum was a huge level up because of how visual it was. Gives you this like visualization of the wave tables, how they, and like, you know, who knows where it's going from there? Like vital vital you heard of this this new vital thing no what is that it got announced like two days ago it's looking pretty cool it's basically serum as well or i guess like phase plant you know that's pretty serum-y too this like serum phase plant and vital i think and massive i suppose are kind of like to me like the big four wavetable synths that are just very functional for making like most of the modern sounds you like to hear for sure yeah i'll have to check that out i got the um the phase plants like the kilohertz kilohertz mm-hmm. so i got their subscription probably about a year ago and man it's fucking rad like 10 bucks a month for all their plugins yeah i think you could probably get away with just kilohertz's stuff to be honest because they have like kind of everything right they have like eqs transient shapers yeah. reverbs choruses flanges yeah. like they, they literally have like one of everything and then on top of that they have that thing called snap heap where it's just basically like you can split anything into like bands and then you know affect all the bands separately and then on top of that they have phase plan which is like fucking one of the most functional synthesizers that yeah exists. right phase plan is insane like i was going through some of their presets and like just like whoa they have like full songs on there you just press a button it has like drums bass Mm. and synths like Mm -hmm. you just keep stacking yeah Yeah, i really really like their um their stereo plugin it's so useful i use it on almost everything every track oh the the haas one you mean no not the haas one it's called it's just called like ksv stereo or something it's fucking rad though it gives you um like a visualization of the of the mono and stereo field and it like mm. um it's like a little blue line and it kind of increases the more stereo it goes and it'll start to get like red color once you start getting weird phase issues and yeah it's really useful for um i don't know getting all of your sounds like balanced together and getting your stereo field right right so dude speaking of um speaking of like uh where music might be going. I saw that you made a tweet the other day about an old flute and you were like, oh, 
humans have been making music for a long ass time. I wonder what key the flute is in. And then I read, I had a quick look at that article and basically it was like people found this flute that they that they think is 50,000 years old and it just has like two holes. Just in two it. holes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Who knows, man? Like, I feel like honestly, the history that we're aware of is like, like a tiny fraction, like a fraction of a percent of what actually has happened in humanity. There's kind of like humanity though, because like, I mean, hum- maybe in the universe, but I don't, humanity, I feel like, has only existed for a tiny percent of a fraction of the existence of the universe, too, right? Yeah, but I'm saying, like, our knowledge of it only goes back, you know, once we get in, get past, like, 1,000, 2,000 years, things get really, really, like, if- iffy, you know? It's like, yeah, that could have happened, mm-hmm. you know? These are stories, but I don't know. One of the things that I was getting into is some of... Uh, and this is actually the dude who posted that was this dude, Graham Hancock. And he's really into all these kind of studies of ancient humanity and ancient civilizations. And some of the work that he talks about is how there's like a series of cataclysms if you go back. And it almost seems like um, it's hard to say, but it almost seems like humanity has had many phases of a civilization and that there could have been like cataclysms that kind of devastate the earth it's like and you know oh, you mean like there's a whole society and then the earth gets hit by a meteor yeah a meteor or whatever you know there's a series of cataclysms meteors are a big one but if you trace back there's all these kind of um these layers of sediment in the dirt from different climate change things volcanoes meteors what ice ages but yeah, yeah wasn't there like a, a time where those I heard something along the lines of there was a time on the planet where there was only like there was such a cataclysm that wiped out enough people that there was only like a thousand humans alive or something like the human race almost got wiped out a couple of times. Yeah, totally. Somehow bred back up. He has this theory about um, and a lot of it's verified stuff that there's this huge impact in North America somewhere around 14,000 years ago. And it was such a big impact that it kind of wiped the whole face of North America content and created this insane climate change um, because of it, all the, you know, sediment and shit in the air. But yeah, I mean, if we look back, there's a series of cataclysms and I feel like that's why, you know, people like Elon Musk and all these really rich, you know, smart people want to like go and colonize Mars or they want to put people on fucking the moon or whatever. Because it's like, if you look at our history, it almost seems like it's inevitable at some point. Some shit will go down, you know. We're just a rock flying through um, flying through space, you know, with other rocks flying at us. And tons of shit, you know, on our own planet. But yeah, who, who really knows? And that's one of the things that, to bring it back to that, like, like once we get past 2,000, 3,000 years, it's like, you know, all we know is stuff that was, like, ingrained in stone and, like, like, uh, and, like, giant megalithic structures that have survived the the test of time but yeah i don't know you know i'm skeptical about you know us just being super primitive in the past there could have been civilizations that have risen and fallen with the with the cataclysms and different things that have happened you know it's like yeah it's like there's always these theories of you know and and you know like really credible historians and you know, people were way up there in the hierarchy of science and things, you know, Plato and Socrates and all these people speak of like, you know, ancient Atlantis and all these 
old kind of and you know if you look at the oral history from a lot of ancient cultures they always talk about like ancient india it's one of the most crazy kind of stories through their like the vedas you know they talk about like these civilizations that existed like 40 50,000 years ago yeah it's i feel like we're just starting to uncover a lot of it too there's like um some of the work that graham hancock does is he was like diving under the sea for a lot of years and finding these like crazy like he he was uh, exploring two of these specific sites one of them's off the coast of japan and it's like I don't know, a city that's underwater that's like got pyramids and all this crazy hieroglyphics. And, you know, he's like dates back to something like like when it was above water was something like 40 or 50,000 years ago. It's like there's all these little blips, you know, and not to be like some crazy conspiracy nut. But but it's just like um, history and all the historians and all of our kind of knowledge of history was all really funded by the Catholic church. And it was all kind of processed through this filter of the Catholic church and a lot of stuff mm. that went against what they were, their viewpoint, you know, and their stories, they would just kind of trash and throw away and dismiss. Right. They'd be like, Oh no, I can't be correct. Yeah. They would just be like, Oh no, that's not true. We'll cut your funding and make sure this doesn't get out. Like, I don't know, you know, it's just, um, and then, you know, we see stuff like that, like a flute that existed 50,000 years ago. Like, that's pretty wild. Yeah, I guess our ability to, like, carbon date things and figure out how old things are is getting a lot better, too, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, just to go on a crazy tangent of history, but who who really knows, you know? Who knows, like, were we really that primitive back then? And... Um, yeah, there's that argument about the pyramids, right, where people kind of think that um, society was, like, a lot more evolved when they were built than now, which is, like, I don't know about that because we can definitely build a pyramid now. Mm -hmm. I mean, we built one out of glass in Las Vegas, so I think we could build one out of stone in Egypt. Yeah, totally. But um, I kind of like Louis C.K.'s take on this. He was just like, if you just throw enough slavery or something, it'll get done. He's like, the pyramids are not some technological feat. They're a, a um, what would you say, like a beacon of human punishment. <laughs> or like a, he, yeah. he basically thinks like kings just force slaves to, to, you know, like thousands of slaves to move giant rocks for like months on end. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a possibility for sure. What trips me out about all, all of it is like the the precision of the alignments to like space. You know, there's all these crazy alignments to. Um, Do you think that that's just apophenia, right? Because like apophenia being the human's ability to just make unrelated connections to things. For instance, one good example of apophenia is called pareidolia, where you see faces in things. Totally. Um, and it's just because you know we're we're so used to seeing faces because you know we need to see them for survival reasons and for identification purposes and all sorts of shit but um yeah like i, I think maybe it's one of those things right because space is so insanely vast and there's so much shit there that you could almost put something anywhere on the planet and it would point to something in space oh uh, yeah that has some importance for sure i mean there is something everywhere like if you go far enough you're, you'll hit some kind of star system or something but I don't know. With ancient Egypt, they had like a, they had an insane obsession with like the uh, the Ori the Orion cluster and like the Sirius Sirius A and B star system, and they like spoke a lot of it in their um, 
in like you know their ancient texts and hieroglyphics and their their story of the the egyptian story of the dead you know they have like this shaft that points straight to sirius and it uh apparently is like where they they claim like your spirit goes and all this stuff but yeah i mean it could be totally um you know we don't know everything for certain but that's one of the things that trips me out about it is their um their at least their understanding of of the astronomy you know because it's um mm. i don't know you look out there it's such a like infinite sea of just stars and planets and I don't know, for someone so primitive to have an understanding of it, it's, uh, yeah, it's trippy, you know, it's trippy. Right, like they understood that this cluster was closer than another cluster and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, totally. And they had like an understanding and they had words and names for them. And But yeah, you know, it's, um, it's one thing I kind of got into during this whole pandemic was just different like... I don't know, mythologies, you know, it's like fascinating to me from like ancient Greeks mythology to like Mesoamerica to India to Egypt to like ancient Samaria. There's just all these stories and that are, uh, they're really kind of like, I don't know, even if they aren't real, they're like, they're just really imaginative and kind of cool to listen to. I was listening to some podcasts that would just go through all these ancient Greek stories and these uh, Sumerian stories. And uh, yeah, regardless of the, like the uh, factuality of it, just kind of like cool to listen to. They're so imaginative and there's weird trippy parallels between them and like the Bible stories and all this, all this shit. It's just, it's like a, uh, well, that's probably where like all of these stories come from in the Bible, right? Is these things that are like half fact and half not. And then they kind of get, spooled into their their own stories that you know people just kind of make make up the rest and fill in the blanks to kind of yeah totally just um, validate their agenda one of the ones that's kind of universal is like the flood stories there's all these stories of floods from all the different cultures and and um yeah it's something that like you know science and history is starting to verify they're like oh yeah it looks like there was a really big flood after the ice age like 14 15,000 years ago or whatever but yeah, I don't know. It's a it's fascinating to me is like to bring it back to the whole flute thing is just like the past, you know, the the history of on this planet. You walk some places and um you know, it's almost like the the movie The Shining or some shit. It's like there's events that have happened places and they just there's like this lingering energy there, you know, and you can just mm. kind of pick up on it. Like <laughs> I went to um this ashram out in um out in San Francisco is like a, like a um, Hindi ashram. And I don't know, it's like when you walk in there, there's just been so much like, I don't know, people praying and this positive energy, you just like feel it. You're like, whoa. And uh, same with this like Buddhist temple I went to when I was younger. My, uh, one of my good friend's dad, he's like this famous Buddhist writer. And he would, um, it was actually my friend that I played drums with. Like he'd play drums and I would, play guitar and he was like my most kind of solid music musical partner throughout high school and um we would always go over to um his his dad's house and he was like the chillest dad ever you know he'd let us play music to like 6 a.m and stuff and fucking just let us be wild little kids so he'd always be like let's go to fucking clay's dad's house and 
And he'd always fucking <laughs> show us weird shit on the internet, weird videos and trippy people. And, but uh, yeah, he brought us to this temple. I remember going there and just like the moment I stepped in, is like I felt this just know, wild energy of just, I don't know, all this positivity and all this, this stuff that lingers, you know? I think energy of physical spaces is definitely a real thing. Hey, and I think a, like a, a good example of that is shows. Totally. Right? Like um, when you see like all of these people doing shows on Twitch or, you know, streaming on Facebook or streaming on YouTube or whatever, it's like, yeah, they're doing the exact same thing they would be doing live at a venue, but without all the people there experiencing the same thing at the same time in the same place, it just does not have the same effect at all. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, you feel it when you go to certain venues, man. There are certain venues that you walk in and you're just like, oh, yeah, man, this is going to be a good one. And, you know, part of it is, you know, all the prep they've done, the equipment they have, the space they've created. But I don't know, there's like an energy that lingers from from lots of events happening in a place. Like I used to go to one of the first kind of venues I used to just always go to when I was probably like 11, 12, 13, 14 was this spot in Petaluma called the Phoenix. And it's like uh, just a legendary kind of punk rock metal, just like dope venue. It almost looked like a church or something. It's like this huge room and they would have like skate ramps on each wall, like these quarter pipes. And um, yeah, you just go there and you just feel it. You'd be like, whoa, there's some like essence here from all of the shows they had. Mm. a good example of that is red rocks yeah, too, red right? Rocks, like you right? go to red rocks and you just like yeah you're like fuck man like hendrix has played here and like you know the rolling stones have played here and totally. like everyone has played here it's like you go there it's just the craziest have vibe. you ever been to red rocks yeah a bunch of times i was living in denver for like the last six or five years before moving to san francisco at the start of this year and um i went there for a bunch of shows but i've also played there twice but i've never played there as mr bill surprisingly oh wow I've I've played there as Electricado twice, which is my side project. Wow, that's rad, man. Yeah, I mean, I've always seen all those pictures of like that that tunnel too, where all the people sign and put their names. Like, it's got to yeah. be just like a vibe yeah. when you step in there. Like, whoa, seeing all these names and yeah, man, that's cool, man. So you're in San Francisco. We'll have to link up sometime and fucking make some music or something. Absolutely, man. I'd love to do that. Um, I actually have been going down to Santa Cruz a bunch as well. I'm, I'm actually going down there again this weekend. Oh, dope, man. Um, to uh, the six, six so-called demonst- demonstration forest or whatever it's called. Do you know that nah, place? No, what's that? Is that like the satanic church or something? No, no, no. It's a, it's six, a forest. Six, six, so, um, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, so-called, like S-O-Q-U-E-L. Oh, so-called. Yeah, fuck yeah. So, no, not SoCal. Is it SoCal? SoCal. So, it's SoCal I'm pretty sure. Yeah. SoCal. Yeah, yeah. It's called SoCal Demonstration State Forest. Have you been? No, there? man. Yeah. So um, I've just gotten massively into mountain biking through quarantine, oh. and I've been going down to this this forest a lot because there's this trail down there called the Flow Trail, and it's just fucking sweet, man. It's like four or five miles of just straight downhill with like flowy berms what? and shit and like jumps. Dude, that sounds fun. Yeah. One of my friends, he always goes mountain biking up here and he's been trying to get me into it because I just need to get a mountain bike. Cause I've, I've been quite a few times and I've always had so much fun riding around. 
Dude, it's, it's the coolest shit. It, like what you were saying earlier about um, skateboarding being this thing where like you do it and you're just present is the exact same feeling I get with mountain biking because it's kind of like if you're not present, the resulting factor of that is you just Eat fucking... Shit. <laughs> hurt. Yeah, you hurt. You get hurt. Like the, the, the price you pay for not being completely present is high, yeah. so you, you be completely present, right? Yeah, and, and for it's, sure, You man. don't want to not be completely present because like as you're doing it, like I have to fucking concentrate right now. Like, yeah, and like physical activities just tend to do that too. Like yeah. something about getting your blood pumping and like breathing really deep and... Man, one of the things I got really into since since uh, quarantine started was just jumping in the ocean. Like I've been jumping in the ocean every day, and even though it's like off a high thing, uh, no, just like getting in, you know, just getting in. Like I got really into um, like Wim Hof. You ever heard of Wim Hof? Yeah, yeah, the yeah, ice the man. Ice man. Yeah, and he does all these. Do you do the the breathing? Yeah, he does shit? all these breathing exercises. Yeah, dude, I did one this morning, and they just I don't know. It just sets the tone for my day. It's like, um, cause part of it is you do, you do deep breaths, you do like 30 deep breaths and the, but then you do these holds and, um, mm-hmm. I don't know the first couple of times you do it, your body just kind of naturally goes into like a fight or flight kind of mode, you know, because you're holding your breath and like your heartbeat wraps mm-hmm. up. And, um, I don't know. I have this kind of theory that a lot of things will put you in this weird fight or flight mode, but it's kind of like mastering your physiology of that. Like, like if you were to do, you know, martial arts with someone who's really kind of skilled at it, you're probably going to like wig out a little bit and like your heart rate will go up. You'll kind of, but for them, they've just done it so many times that they've kind of learned to, I don't know, remain calm and cool and collective during this, this, um, kind of in, intense yeah, like they've gained of, you know you know martial arts i think a, a big part of that is just gaining control over your mind yeah. right like trying to just like reel in your anxiety gaining control over much. your mind but also repetition you know doing it enough like like um same with skateboarding like the first couple times i stepped back on it like in my mid-20s or something it was like pretty scary just trying to like ollie just trying to like ollie onto a curb and grind it was like like scary as hell but you kind of like do it enough times to where you get a grip of it you know you get a kind of control over your mind and control over your whole physiology you know your heart rate how you know it'll start to beat really fast you kind of slow yourself down and same thing with these the Wim Hof stuff like when I first started doing it you know I could barely hold my breath for like 30 seconds like I'd just be like like spazzing out but now that I've kind of gotten in the flow of it like I did a like two minutes and 45 second hold this morning. And, uh, wow. Yeah. It's after that's like on the fourth round. So it's kind of like you build. So I'll do like 30 deep breaths and then I'll do like a minute hold and I'll do another 30, a minute and a half, another 30. And I did like two minutes, 15 seconds. And then on the third round I did, yeah, like two minutes and 45 seconds. That's crazy. And you just, um, I read somewhere, I saw you tweet that you just stopped smoking nicotine as, or tobacco. Yeah, I kind of quit smoking weed and tobacco. It's kind of like I quit tobacco first because honestly, what kind of led up to it, as as weird as this sounds, or not weird, but it's just like I was doing a lot of micro doses of mushrooms, of psilocybin for like... I don't know, a pretty extended period of time, probably about a month where I was doing them pretty heavy, like almost every day. And and like how much, how much were you microdosing just like 
point one of a gram something like that yeah i never really weighed it out but i would literally just grab like a little stem and take a little bite off of it i kind of like gained my own kind of knowledge of what affected me and what what put me in a microdose by like trial and error a couple times where i ate too much and was like okay i'm gonna do a little (laughs) less next time (laughs) but yeah i kind of gauged it like that i never was like weighing it on a scale i'm like okay this month i just kind of got this little nibble that i found worked for me to where i could kind of just i don't know it's almost like it just enhanced a couple things it's not like i was high or, or tripping or anything like that but it was like my vision got a little better my hand eye coordination got better my all sorts of stuff my creativity like boosted up a bunch my skateboarding went up a ton like dude when i would take a decent microdose and go skating it'd just be like super there you know i'd be trying new tricks i hadn't tried like i don't know having almost like breakthroughs on the skateboard but um yeah i was doing them for about a month or so pretty regularly and um i don't know it's almost like the psilocybin was just kind of smacking me into place as cheesy as that sounds and like not to like totally credit just taking psilocybin but it was also a lot of things that i did you know on them but i felt like it kind of gave me these nudges where it was like yo like you should probably stop doing this like 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 every Mm. time because i was smoking a lot of spliffs like a lot you know i was running through like an ounce of weed every five days and just like you know 10 15 spliffs a day just like before i ate food smoke spliff after i ate food smoke spliff before i made music smoke spliff during music multiple spliffs like just like before and after everything you know and it was um <clears throat> yeah it was just kind of back of my head i was just always like dude this is bad i need to stop it but it's almost like I would just keep making excuses like, oh, well, I'm really productive. I'm making a lot of music and it's working like this, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Dude, that's exactly what an addiction will do. It'll like convince you that it's fine yeah. to do for sure. It'll make it so you I had kinda, the same thing with like alcohol. Yeah, it'll make it so you like make excuses for like why you're doing it and how it's it's okay because I'm, you know, I'm being productive or I'm it's not messing up my life, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know, just to just like doing all these psilocybins is almost like it was just smacking me in the face. Just like, like, dude, no, this is not OK. Like you're fucking super dependent on this shit. You do it all day, every day. And yeah, I just kind of had this moment where I was like, all right, like I need to do it. I'm going to give up tobacco first. And that was pretty hard. It was a lot harder than taking a break from weed. Like the tobacco thing still kind of gets me every once in a while, especially if I'll have a couple drinks, I'll just be like, Oh, like I want to have a smoke. So yeah, I laid off that for like two weeks. I kind of like got over like the hill, you know, it's almost like you're climbing a hill and then like you plateau and you get to the top and then you kind of start to go downhill. It almost starts to get easier. You're like, okay, I made it. And then after the two weeks, I was like, all right, I'm going to do this with weed because I've, I've done this the past couple of years where I take like a month or two months off. But yeah, man, it's been yesterday. It was like 10 weeks um, without weed and 12 weeks without tobacco. So yeah, it's been good, you know, not to fully just credit it to microdosing psilocybin, but I think it played a big part in it, you know, because It's almost like this thought in the back of my head was always there that was like, yo, this is pretty bad for you. Like, you need to stop. Like, you don't have 
like a healthy relationship with it, you know, which is something that I would love to have. Like I, I really do love smoking weed and I love tobacco, but it's like if I could cultivate a relationship where I just, you know, I smoke it once every once in a while, once in like, you know, once every week or two weeks or something, I'm trying to unwind. I smoke a little bit, but I just tend to like, I don't know. Like when I get into something, I really get into it. So I start smoking again. I'm just kind of worried that it'll just, it'll, it'll start off as like a nice pace where I smoke every now and then, but I feel like it'll just snowball back into where I was. So yeah, taking an extended break and I feel really good, man. I feel super clear and coherent and the one thing is, though, that I found that I haven't been producing as much music as I was when I was smoking a lot of weed. As weird as that is, like something about just getting stoned is just easier for me to just sit inside and make beats all day. Well, that could also just be because that's the state under which you wrote music yeah. for so long, right? So it's kind of like you just have to learn how to do it under a different state. Now, like I said, I just went through all the same shit with alcohol. I was like heavily addicted to alcohol for like the last... I don't know, six or seven years. And um, I just like quit earlier this year during the pen, uh, the quarantine, just because it started to get like real yeah, bad right? during quarantine, um, where I was just like, fucking, there'd, there'd be days where I would like spend, you know, half the day in bed just drinking beers. And like, it was yeah, fucked. Yeah, totally, man. Um, but it's the same thing. It's like, I wasn't used to operating my life not like pretty much buzzed. Mm like most of the time or at least buzzed for like half of the day, yeah. which was usually the end half of the day. Um, so I was just like kind of used to this, like always feeling buzzed and doing shit. And now that I'm like writing a lot of music completely sober, it's like a hugely different experience. It's definitely not the same. Like when I was writing music, like, like drunk all the time or on drugs or, or whatever I was doing, um, it always felt like a party, mm -hmm. right? Because I was like, oh, yeah, this is like vibing and all this <laughs> so, shit. But when I write, when I'm sober, it feels like very clinical. It feels very sterile. It feels like I have a list of shit I need to do in the project. Yeah, and like, totally. No, it's, a, I, it's I, like I a totally different experience. But, but the more I do it, the more I get used to it and the more I, I'm comfortable. Yeah. yeah, also, I feel like it's like, like I said, like repetition. The more you kind of get back in the flow of doing it, which, well, yeah, I've made a bunch of tracks since since then, but. I guess it was just, it was really easy for me to just like sit inside all day when I was smoking weed and just make beats. Whereas now I'm just like, uh, I want to go out. I want to do be outside. I want to go to the beach. I want to do this. I want to go skate, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, man, um, I totally agree with you. It's almost like a, like a different mindset that I'm in totally while I'm making the beat. Like I'm kind of like almost like more productive with the time that I use. I won't just like sit and fuck around with like, you know, just adding racks and effects and just like, just experimental. It's almost like more, yeah, more like clinical where I'm like, okay, I got this little, little hook. I got this little riff. I'm going to build off of that. But that also changes the vibe because if you get too focused, then you, you start to, or I at least start to kind of convince myself that like, oh, this is like not how music should be made. It shouldn't be like this step-by-step -step process. It should be more like meandering and flowy and just like whatever happens, happens type shit. Mm -hmm. But like, I mean, the more I, the more focused I get, the more I realize like maybe music is just like a step-by-step -step process type thing. Yeah, totally. I tend to have um, more blockages when I'm, when I'm, um, I don't want to say focused, but when I'm like 
really kind of predetermined when I have like a, like an idea that I'm like, okay, I need to make a beat like this. I need to make it like that. That's, mm. that's tends to be where I don't know. I'll struggle or I'll have blockages or creative writer's block or whatever you want to call it. Lately, I've been having a lot more fun just kind of almost just like fucking off and just just playing with something, come up with an idea and then just go from there. Not as much of a like a pre thought out idea or something like a like a predetermined idea. But yeah, man, I've also been really getting back into playing guitar. And I have a lot of kind of ideas okay. to, to bridge the two gaps because I don't know. I've never been much of like a piano player or a keyboard player. And, um, but I'm really, really into playing guitar and it's almost like I really want to translate some ideas that I have on the guitar to synths and to, to different melodies and things. But, but yeah, it's something that I think could, could bring a cool, I don't know, because there's, you know, it gets kind of, it can get kind of repetitive and boring just watching like a DJ just play bangers for an hour, you know, or just like mix, you know, build ups and then drops, build ups and drops. And I think mm. one of the things that really um, creates a cool live performance is uh, dynamics, you know, is having like, um, you know, you go really hard, you play some heavy stuff, but then you go into something else and something more musical, something more flowy or vibey and it's kind of like an idea that i've had recently is to incorporate some guitar work incorporate some i don't know just other dynamics to my live performance of like uh yeah i agree like when you see something like spongle or, or something like that it's like the like it's kind of like theatrical yeah. and like like parts of the performance have like segments you know it's like segment one is like all trippy and like thematic with these singers and the section two is like a full orchestra or something and then section three is like you know a bunch of different sort of areas of the of the performance yeah definitely that's a good way to put it theatrical too because like um yeah no who knows when we're gonna go back to playing shows and stuff but Oh, we're doing them now, right? You did a show in at the Midway in San Francisco recently. Yeah, for you? sure. I've done four shows since since COVID, all in the past like month and a half or so. And they've all been very yeah, different. I've done, you know, have you done any? Yeah, I, I I've done two, and I'm about to do a third in LA on the 28th. But um, I did the Midway, and then I did one in Wisconsin with Ganja White Night. But um, the Midway one felt super safe. Oh yeah, it was like for sure. just everyone. Everyone was outside. There was like a hundred people or less. Everyone was socially distanced. Everyone was wearing masks. Yeah, they actually um, at the it, midway. That was the first one I did. They actually were really good about kind of keeping people in their area. You know what I mean? Like, like people would be lingering from one table to the other, but it wasn't like a mob of people. Um, every show I've done has been very different. You know, like I did the midway was the first one which was really cool. And yeah, I think it was probably like one of the more safe ones that I did. The second one I did was in Orlando, Florida. Uh, yeah, Guild. No, not Guild. It was, um, it was like a drive-in show, um, Ace Motor Bar or something. It was like this crazy Harley Davidson sports bar thing, but they had a, they had a huge show out in the parking lot. And that was one of those shows where I like barely fucking made it. I like, um, it was so lame too. Cause it's my first time flying since COVID. And like, I was like, 
all right, cool. You know, like I, I kind of booked the flight, not knowing it was like a super early show. I should have known that, but I was set to like get in at 5 PM and my set was at nine. So I was already like, Oh shit. Like I'm cutting it pretty close. And then of course I get there, I, I get all on the plane and they're like, yeah, flight has been delayed. Like, um, you're going to miss your connecting flight. Everyone go into Orlando, come out and uh, we'll reschedule you. And so I got there and they, they rescheduled me where I had to go to Seattle and sit there for a few hours. And then from Seattle to Orlando and it was, um, oh yeah, my God, that's super, super out of the way. way. And I was supposed to get in at eight forty, and my set was at nine and I was like, damn man, oh, fuck. fuck, that is so close. And then, um, and on top of it, the venue was like 30 minutes from the, from the airport. So I'm like, shit, oh, man, geez. like, how's this going to work? And I don't know, normally in that situation, I'd be just anxiety through the roof, just kind of wigging out. Cause that's happened to me a few times where it's like, yeah, you're going to get in 10 minutes before your show. And, you know, I'll just start be sitting in the airport freaking out all day. But I don't know. It's like, just kept hella cool. Did like my Wim Hof stuff. Just was like, word, here I am. Like, you know, just ride the wave. If I make it, I make it. If I don't, there's not much I can do. And um, yeah, everything worked out. It was trippy. Like our flight got in 40 minutes early. So I got in at eight and they had like a rainstorm that happened. So they pushed all the sets back like an hour. So it was like, my set was then moved to 10. So it's like, I got in at eight and had till 10 and I was like, awesome. Fuck. Yeah. So that was a little stressful, but that show was pretty cool. They were pretty good about kind of keeping everyone in their space. Um, and then the third show I did was, I did like a two night run on Halloween. I did. And this was like probably my favorite one I did. It was this um, show called revive. And, um, they rented out like two towers of this hotel and everyone kind of had a room and about they're all watching the show from the balcony oh interesting that's pretty yeah cool. and they had like a little it was um in myrtle beach so it was a really cool spot like the stage was right by like the backdrop beyond the stage was like the ocean and they had like a little grass area with a bunch of those pods that people could come into and that one was seemed like really safe as well. Like they were really good about keeping everyone in their area and there's just t plenty of space. And a lot of, most of the people it seemed were just watching from their hotel room because, you know, they could party and fucking do all the crazy shit they're doing in their hotel room. And Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Actually. That one was fucking, it was really cool. Like after the show, we all had rooms there and just you know, got to kick it with a bunch of friends I hadn't seen. And, and, um, yeah, it's, it was definitely, I feel like, like my favorite one I've done. The sound system was fucking dope too. Quite a few of the shows I've done have been kind of like, eh, not the best sound system, but, um, right. yeah, super fun. It did seem like, um, the promoters probably lost a decent amount of money on that though, because, I mean, it's hard to do a show right now if you're trying to pay everyone. Probably, yeah. I mean, you can't really do a proper paying show right now because the capacity. But are just also, so it's like low. they rented out these two towers at this really expensive hotel. It's like the Hilton or something. And oh, damn, wouldn't have people just paid for that though with the 
like because they're buying yeah so tickets were really expensive but but it seemed like um like uh, there were two towers to two different stages and i didn't even make it up to the other tower but it just seemed like there's there's like a good like probably 50 percent of the rooms that were empty you know so so yeah i was like damn i bet they kind of took a hit on that but it's an awesome idea Mm -hmm. for sure like everyone being able to have their hotel room and kind of party and drink beers and fucking have a couple of their friends kicking it is it was awesome yeah what have your show experiences been like they've been pretty good i mean like i did the midway one that was cool and then the only other one i've done was um last or the week before last in wisconsin with ganja white night and it was fine i mean the show felt safe it was an outdoor drive-in show with like i think 600 cars and um everyone was sort of cordoned off in these little barriered areas and I wasn't really near any of them because I just, you know, was behind the stage for like 10 minutes before my set and then I played and then I left directly after my set. So I like didn't have to sort of interact with anyone because I'm trying to like, you know, keep my my risk of getting COVID as low as possible. And um, I think the sketchiest part of the entire trip was just waiting in the airports and the flight and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, totally. Because... I mean, I, I, there's this website called microcovid.org um, where you can calculate how many microcovids an activity costs you to do. And a microcovid, one microcovid is a one in a million chance of getting mm-hmm. COVID. And I calculated for the entire trip how many microcovids I got. And the result was about 250. So I basically had for the entire itinerary a 250 in 1 million chance Damn. of getting COVID. That's really low. Um, it's pretty low, but um, the biggest like cost costs of um, of uh, like where I would have gotten COVID was in Minneapolis airport when my flight was delayed and had to wait there for a while. So I think um, I probably won't do a whole lot more shows in the near future that require flying. But uh, this next one that I'm doing is in LA um, also with Ganja White Night at the NOS Center. It's going to be a little bigger than the Wisconsin one. Um, but again, people are, it's going to be a drive-in. People are going to be cordoned off in their little, um, you know, staunchened areas. And yeah. uh, I'm just going to drive drive down to that one, I think, because it's like a six or seven-hour drive. It's like not worth flying that and risking all of that shit. Yeah, totally, man. <laughs> and I'm also not going to stay in a hotel because the, the hotel was also like apparently pretty risky to stay in, mm-hmm. especially in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where the cases are quite high. So um, this time I'm just going to get an Airbnb where I have like the whole place to myself. Hell yeah, that's right. So it's, yeah, it should be pretty low risk for me at least. Yeah, my girlfriend thinks she got it like last year in... This is like bef- before the kind of tell it again. Anybody test? Yeah, this was um before like um before the real wave happened here. She just got like because she was working um actually at the mid, I think it was at the midway, and she was doing like coat check, you know. So she was like touching all these <laughs> coats and just dealing with all these people at some show, and yeah, she got like one of the worst fevers that you know I've ever seen her have, and that she's had in years. But it was in like December or something, but it's, there's a pretty low chance. Cause it's like, um, so for instance, I thought I had it in March, mm-hmm. right. Uh, I, cause I was flying around a ton, but I, I called my doctor and he was like, it's probably not likely because the cases are so low right now that you probably actually had something else like bronchitis or something like that. Yeah. It could have totally been the flu. She just thought it was that cause you know, she's been sick before, but yeah, I don't know. You know, 
it's um it's trippy there's so much different information on everything going on but yeah i feel like it's better to stay safe like i'm wondering how everything's gonna pan out as winter comes around and like it's like cases are probably gonna be coming up it already seems like they are kind of coming up again mm-hmm. and um that's because dining and shit is opening up dining's opening up and florida's fully opened up dude like right <laughs> they're doing like huge raves there and huge parties and i don't know you know it's um we'll see how everything goes coming with like the new president coming in but it seems like i don't know there just wasn't any real kind of like federal federal kind of um federal like guidelines you know it's like they just left it up to every state and every state was doing different things and yeah yeah it just doesn't seem like it was very effective in any way like the shutdown that they did i guess it it was kind of kind of like you know isolated it a little bit but they didn't do a good job and now it's like we're almost like a year into the shit and it's like coming back and and also it's going to be winter and it's like, how are they going to do all these drive-in shows in the winter time, you know, with fucking rain and snow and cold uh, weather. Dude, the one in Wisconsin was fucking freezing, man. It was so cold. Yeah, I bet, man. But yeah, yeah so, I, I agree. It's going to be pretty weird in the winter. I think everything's going to shut again pretty soon. Yeah, right. That's kind of the way it seems. Uh, I saw that they're they're shutting all the indoor dining in, in um, San Francisco, I think, this weekend. Oh, right. Yeah. I I didn't think I heard about that, but um, I know that they opened indoor dining recently and I think they were allowing either 25 or 50%, I think 25% capacity for Mm -hmm. indoor dining and it's the cases are just going straight back up. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, we'll see what's up. I was literally reading some tweet from fucking Donald Trump this morning or yesterday and he was like, we have a vaccine that's 90% fucking... Like, uh, it works 90% of the time, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it could be total bullshit coming from him. Like, Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd listen to anything he says. <laughs> Dude, have you been looking at his Twitter lately? No, I should, though. Oh, my God, man. He's just in full denial of, like, losing the election. He's I mean, like, he's always in denial of everything. Yeah, right. It's, it's just so bad. To... I saw some tweet he made the other day where he was like, it was the day that people were like, all right, Biden won. He was like, all right, big conference happening at something in Pennsylvania. And then like somebody Googled the place. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, I saw that. that. It, and the, yeah, the place where he was holding this like big important conference was like this weird little like lawn bowls office or some shit. Like that was just the Dude, dumbest. Dude, it was like a sketchy looking parking lot. <laughs> there, was, like, Pretty, a, yeah. there was like a biohazard sign like right next to the, the stage. It was so funny looking. I saw this picture with like this like, like oh, yeah, toxic radiation sign yeah, yeah. Right he's to, like <laughs> he's like <laughs> he's like big press conference today in philadelphia at four seasons total landscaping 11 30 a.m yeah <laughs> and dude. then if you, if you google four seasons total landscaping yeah it's just this weird little industrial looking building it's, it's so funny man that was like that was honestly like it's i like, don't know what, what him losing doing? the presidency has just been like a huge source of just laughter for me because he's i don't know he just takes it so personal and you know i'm no like joe biden fan but i do think he's a way better option at least he's like you know doesn't deny science and like mm-hmm. isn't like fucking in my opinion as much of like splitting up the nation into some kind of crazy fucking 
tribal warfare mentality. Yeah, yeah, it's, no, it's wild, it? man. It's, yeah, no, I think I think we're in for a better four years than the last four for sure. And I'm with you. I'm not like a giant Joe Biden fan, but I think I mean for starters, I can't even vote in America because I'm not an American citizen. So mm-hmm. um, you're just so you're spectating, I, like, oh my god. Exactly. Like I, yeah, exactly. I vote in Australia because it's mandatory for me to do that. But really, um, it's mandatory. That's rad. Yeah, voting in Australia is mandatory. If you don't do it, they give you a fine. Wow. So um, so I vote there. But um, yeah, I mean, if I were to vote here, I would 100% have voted for Biden, obviously. But I wouldn't have been voting for Biden for Biden. I would have been voting for Biden against Trump. Exactly. Yeah, I think that was the big determining factor. I don't think there are too many people that are just like, oh, I love Biden. I love it. It was more like there's a lot of people who are like, dude, fuck Donald Trump. Like this dude's Mm -hmm. an idiot. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Like United States has had some some weird obsession with like celebrity presidents, you know, like Ronald Reagan. (laughs) He's like a famous cowboy like actor. And then like, what did we do in fucking... 2016 it's like we elected some fucking reality tv star like i don't know it's fucking wild to me (laughs) america has always had some weird obsession with um celebrities you know like obsession with people that are in movies people that are i mean i feel like the whole world is but it's like here it's like some it's almost like like it's like have you ever seen the movie it's like 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 um worship or something you know it's like crazy have you ever seen the movie idiocracy oh yeah for sure yeah and they have a president Dwayne elizondo mountain dew herbert camacho and it's like terry cruz (laughs) with a fucking ak yeah (laughs) Yeah, that movie had some good parallels to just the last four years in my opinion just yeah agreed that's all i could think of it's like donald trump is literally fucking terry cruz yeah right although terry cruz i think would make an actual not bad president in comparison yeah right Hey man, I gotta bail because like a I'm fasting and I really need to eat some food about now. Um, but also b I gotta do some other shit as well. I want to go for a ride before it gets too late, and I also want to um, go yeah do some other. I gotta record a tutorial stuff yeah, like that for sure, man. Awesome. Well, it was good chatting, homie. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's good to finally have a have a chat with you. It's nice having this podcast because I'm getting to chat to people that I've been meaning to have conversations with for a long time but haven't gotten around to yeah dude that's awesome and definitely um let's stay in touch man if you're coming up to santa cruz hit me up and likewise if i come down to sf i'll, I'll holler at you let's fucking link and make a tune or something yeah man super into it all right well yeah thanks again and um yeah have a good one you too man peace all right see ya Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded twice a week by Robert Fumo of 303podpro.com. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, Please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mrbillstunes.com. Thank you.